All right, the text for our meditation this morning, I mean, we're going to be looking at all three readings a little bit, but uh, our sermon text that we haven't read yet comes from Romans 8, 35 through 39, and there we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word, and we pray. Dear Lord, thank you for sending us your word this morning. We ask you also to send us your Holy Spirit to build our faith and trust in you, to build our confidence in the bond that you've created with us, and to build our motivation to live for you in this world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. (coughs) I'd like to begin this morning by quoting a classic piece of literature. And Romans 8 is a pretty classic piece of literature, but here's a, I guess, a little bit less important one. It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Have you heard that one before? Kids, can you raise your hand if you've heard that one before about Humpty Dumpty? So it's one of the most well-known, you can put your hands down, thank you. Uh, It's one of the most well-known nursery rhymes in the English language. But it's not until you think about it more that you also realize it's one of the most depressing. Because what actually happens in this nursery rhyme? First, you have this unfortunately named individual, Humpty Dumpty, who, as children's books typically show him, he looks like an egg with limbs and a face which maybe isn't super uh, practical for his daily life. But then, what happens to poor Mr. Humpty Dumpty? He falls off this wall, he gets broken into a ton of pieces, and then what happens next is absolutely nothing. He's just broken, and no one can fix him. And that's the end of the story. It's actually quite depressing when you think about it. And yet, depressing as Humpty Dumpty is, it is nothing compared to our first reading this morning from Genesis chapter 3. Talk about a great fall. If you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you read about God like creating this perfect world for human beings to live in. And you imagine living in a world that's custom designed just for you. A world with no sunburn or, or no bug bites a world where there is no sickness, no problems, no pain, a world where you have a perfect body that is going to live forever, and you've got a perfect spouse who's strong and beautiful and compliments you in every way because you were designed as God's original power couple for each other, and you get to start a family together in paradise, filling the world with perfectly kind and obedient children, And you all are going to get to live forever in this perfectly happy world. And on top of all that, most of all, God frequently 
comes down into this world and walks with you and talks with you, and you can talk to God in person, face-to-face, about anything that you would like to know. You can ask him any question you'd ever want to ask. That's a pretty sweet deal. You read the first two chapters of Genesis, and you're like, man, Adam and Eve had it made. But then you get to chapter 3, which we read today. And the, the story takes kind of a dark and sinister turn, which the children narrated for us very beautifully. That one day this, this fallen angel named Satan came slithering into that perfect paradise in the form of a serpent, and he convinced Adam and Eve to disobey God and eat some forbidden fruit. And just like that, the whole perfect world was broken. And if you think about it, the fall into sin really did break everything. For one, it broke mankind's relationship with God. Right? Because initially God had made them in his image to walk and talk with him without fear. But now, after the fall, when God comes and talks to people, they're hiding from him. They're guilty and ashamed. They immediately are feeling this separation that sin has put between them and God. But sin also broke their relationship with each other. Adam and Eve had been the perfect power couple, but now, immediately, they start pointing fingers and blaming each other. Right? It's the woman. It's, it's her fault. Talk to her. The woman says, it's the serpent. It's his fault. Talk to him. Immediately, everybody is ready to throw each other under the bus. They are not standing up for each other. They are no longer the perfect couple. So their relationships with each other have been broken, and their relationship with God has been broken, and the world has been broken. Their bodies have been broken. Now they're going to die. Everything has been broken. And all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to be able to put it back together again. So the fall into sin was a tragic story for Adam and Eve. But by extension, it is an equally tragic story for us. Because this story explains why our world is the way that it is. And why stuff happens the way that it happens. And why people act the way that we act. If you think about it, this story of the fall into sin, it is just like the prologue for every other sad, tragic story that is ever going to happen. Every story of terrorism and violence and atrocities committed against civilians in a war, every story of racism and slavery and hatred and abuse, every story of cancer and heart disease and rare genetic disorders and global pandemics, every story of broken families and broken hearts and broken lives, Every sad story has its beginning, has its genesis with Genesis 3, the fall into sin, the day that our whole world fell apart. And yet, in this very same chapter, this tragic chapter of Genesis 3, God makes his first promise to put it back together. And it's such a quick little verse that it's easy to miss it. At the very end of the reading, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then God says this about the woman's offspring one day. He will crush your head, although you will strike his heel. In other words, and God would speak many other words about this, like throughout the whole Old Testament, God would expand on his promise, 
But in other words, God would deal with the problem of sin by sending a Savior. A Savior who would defeat the devil and fix what was broken and connect people with God again. And finally, in the end, give our story a happy ending. Even though along the way, he himself will be wounded and grievously hurt. So it took a while for God to put the pieces in place. I think Adam and Eve maybe thought it was going to happen a little bit sooner than it actually did. (coughs) It happened well beyond their lifetime. But finally God put the pieces in place and the Savior arrived, and his name was Jesus. Paul says in Galatians, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption sonship. So how exactly does all this work? I think you can break this verse down one piece at a time. First, God sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law. What this means is simply by sending Jesus into the world, God was already connecting himself with us. Right? Because Jesus was a real human being just like us. He lived under God's laws just like us. He faced troubles and pain and suffering in life just like us. He was tempted constantly by the devil, just like us. And yet, unlike us, unlike Adam and Eve, unlike Humpty Dumpty, Jesus never fell. He never sinned, not even once. He was perfect. And yet, why is Jesus so famous? The only perfect person ever to live is famous because he died. And he died in this terrible way where he got tortured to death on a cross. Why would God let this happen to the only perfect person who ever lived? Well, the answer is to redeem those under the law. Jesus redeemed us. That means he bought us. And the price was very steep. Jesus gave up his blood. He gave up his life. He literally gave up his soul. Remember, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he shouted out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus was allowing himself to be disconnected from his heavenly Father and punished for our sins so that in turn we could be connected to our heavenly Father and so that we could be forgiven. All this happened, Paul goes on, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So instead of hiding from God in fear and shame. And instead of going through a miserable existence in this world, only waiting to face God's wrath afterwards, instead, we get to have God's love and God's forgiveness and God's guidance every day of our life. And we get to live knowing, no matter what a mess our life gets to be in this sin-broken world, we have a perfect life coming. We have heaven coming. And so it's just this amazing turn of events that we've gone from being broken and disconnected and separated from God to being put back together and adopted as his perfect children. That is quite the fix. That is quite the repair job. But will it last? Will it last? I want you to imagine something. Imagine that your life depends on a fix. So, like, you're going to go underwater, deep, deep underwater in a submersible, and the window's cracked, and it needs to be fixed before you go down, and you need to know it's not going to burst. 
Or let's say you're going to go into outer space and a window of your spaceship is broken, it's cracked, and it needs to be fixed and glued back together before you blast off. Or there's a pipe full of poison gas and it's got to be sealed or the gas is going to get you. I don't know. You could use your imagination. I didn't say it has to be realistic. But imagine that your life depends on a fix. Something's broken and it's been put back together and it better hold. It better hold or else you're dead. If you were in that kind of a situation, what would you use to make that fix? With your life on the line, you probably don't want to use duct tape. Right? You probably want to look for something stronger. You probably would want to find the strongest adhesive in the world. So what might be some options for the strongest adhesive in the world? Don't Google it, because I already Googled it, and I will tell you. Option number one <coughs> would be super glue or crazy glue. As my careful research informs me, uh, both super glue and crazy glue are examples of cyanoacrylates. And that means when you open them, they react with the humidity in the air, and they start to harden within seconds. Cyanoacrylates are incredibly strong, which you know if you've ever super glued your fingers together. But they also have a weakness, and the weakness is they don't flex very well. So if you super glue things together and then you forcefully twist them, they'll come right apart. So much for entrusting your life to super glue. All right, so in your imaginary situation where your life depends on a sealant and a fix, what are you going to use? Maybe a better solution would be epoxy glue. This is where two different substances are mixed together to form a compound. Unlike superglue, epoxy glue is both very strong and very flexible. And it's waterproof. And it's heat resistant. Pretty good. But epoxy glue has its own weakness. It takes forever to cure. And then it has a low peel strength. That means if steady pressure is applied over enough time, it will gradually peel right off. So now you're getting desperate. Your life depends on a fix. Let's try one more. What about a polyurethane adhesive like Gorilla Glue? Sets quickly and it's strong and it's flexible. But the problem with Gorilla Glue is it doesn't have good shear strength. So if you put a ton of force on it right away, Gorilla Glue even will break. You get the point. There is no such thing as a perfect adhesive. There is no such thing as a glue that would hold up to anything in the world. There is no such thing as an un- breakable bond, except for the love of Christ. And if you think about it, our life really does depend on a fix. Our life really does depend on a repair job. Jesus has patched us up and reconnected us with God, and yet we still live in this sin-broken world. We still have our sinful nature trying to lead us away from God. We still have the devil trying to pull us away from God. Is the bond of Christ's love strong enough to hold us? In the Bible, God tells us, yes, it is. And so we start asking questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What about any of these things? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <coughs> But those are just outward things. Those are just life problems. What about the really deep spiritual stuff? What about the recurring sins that haunt me with their guilt? 
What about the very real fact that I'm going to die someday? What about the very real devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion trying to pull me into a very real hell? What about those things? Well, Paul goes on, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is going to be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like This is a powerful connection. This is an unbreakable bond. The love of Christ is the strongest adhesive in the world. Because in Christ, God loves us with a powerful, everlasting love that will not stop holding us close to him no matter what happens in our life until we get to end up close to him for all eternity in heaven. So, in conclusion, you see the point here. Sin is this divisive force that has pulled us even apart from God as a human race. And then God's love, his self-sacrificing love, is a connecting force that is even stronger. It has reunited us with God and put us back together with him forever. But there's one more thing that is just as beautiful about Jesus, and that is this. Not only does Jesus' love connect us back with God, but it also connects us with each other. It connects us with other people. And that's really important when we live in a fairly divided world. I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that we live in a world that's pretty divided. Just look at the war that's going on in Israel right now, right? That was the big news from this week. Some of the horrible things that people are willing to do to each other. And each one motivated by the selfish, divisive, sinful human heart. But you could also look at our country and our society and our own lives and our own relationships to see innumerable examples of sin dividing people from each other. And yet, the power of Jesus' love connects us back together. It doesn't happen perfectly this side of heaven. It doesn't happen all at once. But one at a time as people are brought into God's family and see their relationship with God being healed by the connective love of Christ, then we start to see the connective love of Christ flowing out into our other relationships as well. It leads us to apologize to people that we have wronged, to be willing to look at things from somebody else's perspective, to be willing to forgive others as Christ forgave us. The love of Christ has the power to provide all kinds of healing to all kinds of brokenness in our relationships. And yet the love of Christ has the power to do even more than that. Really, it has the power to change our whole posture towards the world. It has the power to help us look out into a divisive culture and ask, how could I be a connector? Who are the people who live around me? And what are their thoughts, their worries, their needs? Who are the people that I work with or go to school with? And what are their thoughts? their worries, their needs. Who are the random strangers commenting on this thread on the internet? Who are these people? What are their thoughts and their worries and their needs? Right? The love of Christ fills us almost with like this compulsion to know more about other people. 
Because like us, they are eternal souls for whom Christ died. And like us, they have the capacity to be connected with God forever. So, we have one sermon left in our series, Joining Jesus on His Mission. It's a series about viewing yourself as a missionary, talking about Jesus with your neighbor. We've talked about how to do that with our words. We've talked about how to do that with our actions. But today, really, we're just talking about attitude. That in a world of instinctive dividers, God is making Christians into conscious connectors. And that's a trait that is just so deeply unusual that it makes people intrigued to hear anything that you have to say, including the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. And so may God bless all of us as we seek to connect with people in our lives so that ultimately those people might be connected to the love of Christ. God grant that to each of us for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.